Well, welcome again to Wildwood Christian Church. I'm really glad that you're here with us today. Um, it's, it's great to be able to gather as God's people, and I know sometimes our gathering is both online as in person, but I'm thankful for all of you and your desire to honor God and let God speak into your heart and your life. Now, if uh, this is your first or second Sunday with us, uh, we would love to be able to give you a resource. So in this series we're doing on Jeremiah, we have a book by Eugene Peterson entitled To Up root and to tear down. And so it's a book about living the best life you can. And so if you're with us for the very first time or your very second time and you haven't received that gift yet, um, you can either do one of two things. Those of you who are in person, there's a connect card that's in the seat in front of you. If you want to put your name, an email, or a phone number on there, you can take that. And when you leave, you can go to um, the connect point out there and they'll give you a copy of that. Or you can just take your phone out and text the word welcome to 636-206-8654. Those of you who are online, if you do that right there, text the word welcome to that number. We'll make sure you get a copy of that book. It's a great resource. I've really appreciated it very much. So um, over the past many years of my life, I have had um, a periodic seasons and times in which it seems like God was very intent on pulling something up out of my life, all right? Um, wasn't pleasant, wasn't really nice. Um, in one season, I felt like it was just kind of the, you know, the weed of arrogance that God was wanting to pull out of my life. Some of that's tied to being young. Some of that's tied to being the only guy in my family. I'm not quite sure what it is, but God worked really hard on that. Sometime, in one season of my life, it was kind of the weed of independence. It was like I tried to do everything on my own, and it was like God tried to bring that about in my life. And one season, actually many seasons of my life, it was the weed of self-centeredness and selfishness. And it was like God knew that had to come out of my life. And so there was these times in which it wasn't very fun, and I didn't even always recognize it at that moment. Sometimes it's looking back. But what I learned and realized is that God, because of his love for us, he does that to us. And many of you understand that too. You've had those kind of seasons in which maybe you didn't know it at the moment, but God was trying to get out of, that, out of you that weed of greed or selfishness like me or addiction or that weed of bitterness that you have or that weed of a judgmental spirit, right? It's, it's almost as if God loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us in that state but that before he can really replant and rebuild in our hearts and our lives, there's some things that God's got to pull up. And I think that's the season we find ourselves in, not just as individual Christians, but as the church, and not just Wildwood Christian Church, but the church across America. I think even the church across the world. That God is doing something, but right now it feels like this kind of painful season in which God is trying to tear some things out so that he can replant and rebuild in our hearts and in our lives. So that's why at the beginning of this year we're in this series from Jeremiah simply entitled to tear down and to rebuild. Now we're not going through the whole book of Jeremiah because it's quite large, but what we're doing is it's a season in which we're at this crossroads. We're at this point in time as a corporate church and as individuals who are a part of that church in which God's wanting to do some things in our life. He's wanting to 
to pull down some things, to destroy some things so that he can rebuild in our heart and in our life. And so it's kind of a crossroads. And you heard that scripture read earlier today uh, in our time of worship that we're standing at this point. And so we have some decisions to make. Now, Jeremiah, who is this guy, Jeremiah? Well, we talked about him last week, but Jeremiah had this call from God. And in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10, here's what Jeremiah said, or God says to Jeremiah. He says, see, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms. Say these words out loud with me, the rest of it. To uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. All right? That's what he's doing. Now, those words are kind of painful sounding words. Those words are somewhat destructive sounding words, aren't they? To uproot, to tear down, to destroy. And those are the words that God is speaking to his people, his nation. And those are ultimately words that God is speaking to you and I, but they're painful words. And a part of the reason they're so painful is this is probably one of the blackest, darkest times in the history of God's people, the nation of Israel. So you have... Moses leading the children out of bondage in Egypt towards the promised land. He doesn't get to make it there, right? But Joshua brings them into the promised land. They conquer the land. They have times of judges. But then ultimately, you have King David and you have King Solomon who bring the nation to a place, this pinnacle of worshiping and honoring God. But from those two kings on, many of those kings led them into sin. And the worst was a guy by the name of Manasseh. Manasseh ruled Israel for 55 years. He brought them to such pits of degradation. I mean, we're not just talking about in the city and in the countryside. We're talking about in the temple itself. All the kinds of things that he did. And so in the midst of that 55 years, near the end of it, this guy Jeremiah was born. Now, finally, after 55 years, Manasseh dies. And ultimately, his grandson, who was six or eight years of age, comes to power in Israel. Now, what's interesting to me is Josiah, who brought about all kinds of great reform in the nation of Israel, and Jeremiah are probably close to the same age. And so Josiah is introduced to the book of Deuteronomy, God's Word, and he brings about all kinds of reform. Things are, I mean, it goes from the depths of despair in Manasseh, his grandfather, to this season in which he clears house. And he brings the worship of God to a place that it should be, and he gets rid of all of the idolatry. I mean, he does all kinds of things, and it's into this that Jeremiah begins to speak. You see some of the things that Jeremiah says, like he's going to talk about today, and yet, even with Jeremiah speaking into God's people, he begins to notice that something is missing. In other words, on the outside, everything looks great. But on the inside, nothing has really changed. It's like surface-level change. And it begins to show up in God feeling very frustrated with his people, but really predominantly with his prophets and with his priests. And so we're going to be today in Jeremiah chapter 6. So I want to encourage you to turn to Jeremiah 6. There's Bibles in the seat there and underneath you or in front of you. You can use your phone or your tablet there. Jeremiah chapter 6. But God speaks these words. This is beginning 
to, this is to some of the prophets and priests. This is verse 13 of Jeremiah 6. He says, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. And who is that? Well, it's prophets and priests alike. They all practice deceit. They dress the wounds of my people as though they were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No. They have no shame at all. They don't even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them. In other words, it's all surface level. Even the leaders are not leading as God wanted them to. They're they're far from God. And so into that particular surface level reform, God has Jeremiah speak these words. So beginning in verse 16, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I pointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of trumpet, but you said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear you nations, you who are witnesses, observe what will happen to them. Hear you earth, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. What do I care about incense from Sheba or sweet calamus from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will put obstacles before this people. Parents and children alike will stumble over them. Neighbors and friends will perish. So what we have here are words of invitation and we have words of judgment. And in the midst of that, God's people have a choice, just like you and I have a choice. What are we going to do when it seems like we come to a season in which God's wanting to pull some things up out of our lives, out of his church, out of his nation, out of his world? What what are we going to choose in the midst of that? God wants to replant, but before God can replant, here's the key of where we're going today is this. Before God can replant, he's going to pull up. And the question is, are we willing to be a part of that? Are we willing to let God work in our hearts and in our lives? So we begin with these words of invitation. So look again at verse 16 of Jeremiah 6. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Now that's a very visual kind of a picture, isn't it? Stand at the crossroads and look. You can almost close your eyes and picture some kind of a crossroads, right? A a long road or a fork in the road or something. What I immediately thought of was Robert Frost's poem, The Road Less Not Taken. He said this, two roads diverge in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. It's an invitation. We have two roads. 
to pass. And so what is Jeremiah on behalf of God saying there? He says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient past, ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. So he begins by saying, stand. Now I know that's kind of hard for some of you in your life to just stop and take a moment and do nothing else, right? I mean, that's a part of the good reason for having church, right? Is because it makes you sit there and stop, right? Some of you are just like, go, 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 go. If you're sitting there, you're like thinking in your mind, oh, I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this. And so, literally, he's saying, stop. He's saying, just stand here. Stand at the crossroads. And then what are we supposed to do? Stand at the crossroads and look. Again, the picture of a crossroad, it's like maybe you picture a fork in a road. Maybe you're coming to an intersection. Maybe it's just a long road. But what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to look. You look in the past, past, right? That's where I've been. You look up here. That's where I want to go. In other words, the idea of looking is this idea of reflecting. And it's thinking, where have I been in my life? Where do I want to go in my life? What, what is before me? What options are there? But it's stopping and reflecting on my life. And then what does he say? And ask. And not just ask anything, but ask what? For the ancient past, ask where the good way is. The ancient past. The good way. It's not, you know, the good old days I've thought of that, you know, over the last couple of years, the good old days. I thought, wouldn't it be great to not have to deal with all this technology, the good old days before electricity? And I thought, but then, you know, I don't have hot water for my showers, and I don't have air conditioning in the wintertime, and I don't have, you know, my phone to be, it's like, no, I don't want to go back. He's not talking about the good old days, you know, that we remember with such fondness. Well, what's he talking about here? The ancient past, you know, the good way. It's the truth of God's word. In fact, if you look down at verse 19, when they say, we won't do that, he talks about his law. He talks about obeying his truth. In other words, the ancient path and the good way, that's the the path that God has laid out for all of us. I mean, again, in the reform of Josiah, the thing that brought about the reform for Josiah is that they found the book of the law. They found the book of Deuteronomy, which laid out what God wanted them to do. And so what he's teaching and saying in his word is, you and I need to ask, not just what do we think we need to do, but we need to ask the one who made us, the God of the universe, who has given us his word, who has given us his truth. In other words, God who has given us the scriptures to map out the road for real life. We need to ask for that kind of wisdom, the good way, and then ultimately what he says, then you need to walk in it. I stand, I look, I ask, but then when we finally come to that point, I need to walk in it. And it's not just a stroll down, you know, on a wonderful day, but it is living our life, moving that way. That is the direction of my life. I'm not going this way, and then it gets hard, so I'm going to go a different way. No, I'm living my life the way God wants me to live, my life found in his word. In fact, it's interesting because it sounds a little bit like the psalmist. Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1, David says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners sit, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in, and here it is again, the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night, 
That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Go ahead, Mickey, to the next one. Which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The choice I make and the way I walk determines what's going to happen in my life. And so that's how David, or that's how Jeremiah ends this, the promise. He says there, you know, ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. I mean, that's a, an amazing promise. Rest for your souls. Rest with God. Peace with him. Peace with one another, peace with the world in which we live in, because we're following God's path and God's plan. They sound a lot like the words of Jesus, that last part, doesn't it? Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28, we heard this earlier, come to me. That's an invitation, right? All you who are weary and burdened, here's that phrase, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, here it is again, rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, it's like Jeremiah is laying before these people this amazing promise, you know, stop, stand, look, ask, and then walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. And what's their response? The end of verse 16, we will not walk in it. We won't do it. No, thank you. I don't want that. And to me, it's like, wait, wait a minute, what? This is not just some nation that knew nothing about God that was just grabbed up. This was the people of God. People who had been raised learning and knowing and loving God. They were raised in Jerusalem. It's like these people knew better, and yet they were saying, no, thank you, God. We don't want to have anything to do with you. And it's like, what? I can't believe they would say something like that. And that's the same thing we do today. We look at some of God's truth and we say, mm, you know, I don't really like that. That's too hard. That's too difficult. That makes too many demands on me. I don't, you know, that doesn't really fit in the today's culture. So it's like, mm, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. No, thank you, God. In other words, we do the same thing that they did is that we do what we want. We will not walk in it. Then there's a second invitation there, verse 17. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. I mean, the watchmen, that was the prophets that God had sent, like Jeremiah. You know, listen to the sound of the trumpet. The trumpet was a warning that the enemy was coming, right? Listen. So you've got, it's interesting, you've got one thing that is visual and the other that has to do with hearing, right? And they said, what? We won't do that. We won't walk in that. And there's so much hypocrisy going on. Now, I know we don't understand this kind of hypocrisy. We don't have this issue in our life. But look down at verse 20. He says, what do I care about incense from Sheba or sweet calamus from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. See, the issue that Jeremiah had with the people is that on the outside, they look great. Right? They were doing all the right things. They were going to church. They were giving their offerings. They were giving their sacrifices. In fact, they were going a step further. When it talks about the, um, 
incense from Sheba, the sweet calamus from a distant land. Those were very expensive things. In other words, they were thinking, well, if we can make it more impressive, if we can have more money that we're giving to God, if we could make our building nicer, we can do things that just, you know, make it seem so much nicer, then God will be pleased with that in spite of the fact that all the rest of the time we aren't living the way God wants us to live. In other words, somehow or another, they thought that their religious practices could buy off God's judgment. And they were hypocrites. You know, living one way when they were around the right people and living a completely different way. Micah chapter 6 and verse 6, the prophet there says this, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rand, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. He makes these invitations. He says, I want you to stand and ask for the ancient past. I want you to listen to the warning sounds of trumpet. And what do they say? We will not, we will not, we will not. And so then we have the judgment, these words of judgment, beginning in verse 18. Therefore, hear you nations, you who are witnesses, observe what will happen to them. Hear you, earth, I'm bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they've not listened to my words and have rejected my law. What do I care about incense from Sheba or sweet calamus from a distant land? Their burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will put obstacles before this people. Parents and children alike will stumble over them. Neighbors and friends will perish. It's almost like a courtroom. He's calling witnesses. He's having others listen. So on Friday, Patty and I took two of our grandkids to the magic house. You know, we're grandparents now, so we have to find things that you can do with your kids and so, or grandkids. And so we took them to the magic house. And one of the cool parts of the magic house was this whole section that was like about the government. And so you could go into the Oval Office and be president and give a speech and they had a place where you could, you know, vote. And then they had, they had a courtroom. And so Grayson put on the judge's robe and he sat up on top of the, you know, behind the bench. And I was one of the witnesses there and he was telling me all the bad things I had done. But anyway, it was like this courtroom that they were able to learn from that. But this is a picture of a courtroom here. He says, here you nations, be a witness. And not just the other nations, but then he says, the earth, here's what's going to happen to them. And he passes sentence upon God's people because of their own, he uses the word schemes. In other words, because of their own choices, the things that they had done, the decisions that they had made. And it's this judgment. What does he say there? I'm bringing disaster on this people. We talked about that last week, right? The pot boiling over from the north. He says there, I'll put obstacles before this people. They'll stumble and they will fall. And I have to tell you that this judgment stuff is really hard to read and understand. It's, it's challenging for me to preach. I'd like to talk about the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. 
and the grace of God. I love talking about that because I think that's motivating to people. But here you have the judgment of God. And when we think about judgment in a courtroom, you know, we think about judge pointing the finger and saying, you know, you're guilty and giving a sentence. But do you know that the warnings of the judgment of God actually show God's love and mercy? I mean, think about it for a moment. What parent would not give warning to their kid that that stove was hot? You know, or don't stick a fork in that outlet over there, right? Or what, I mean, what parent wouldn't give some kind of warnings about consequences in life, right? We try to help our kids understand that with choices come consequences. But you think about the judgment of God or the warnings about the judgment of God. Number one, it shows God's mercy and love because God, it's not necessary for God to have to give us warnings. We all know and understand that there are consequences to choices, if we do this, we're going to have these kind of problems and issues in our life. And so God doesn't have to warn us about the consequences, and yet he does again and again and again. For literally hundreds of years, he had warned his people, this is going to happen to you if you don't stop and repent. And so it shows the love and mercy of God because he doesn't have to warn us. He would be very justified in his judgment. But the other thing that shows his love and mercy is the point of the warning. Why does God warn us? Because he wants us to repent. He wants us to change. And when we change, then he relents on what he's going to send when he sees a repentant heart and a person who says, God, I know you have what's best for me, and God, I am willing to change. And it shows the love and the patience of God. In fact, Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. But what? He is patient with you. Everybody say that out loud with me. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to what? To repentance. He wants us to change. He doesn't want us to face those consequences if we're willing to listen to him. And so we have these words of warning, we have these words of invitation, and they're very similar words that Jesus offered in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, 13, Jesus is inviting us, right? Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And so God is giving, in essence, a, a, a warning to us. He's giving a choice to us. He's saying, look at the crossroads. Stand there and look and see the way you come and the way you could go. See the options that are before you, right? Consider it. Look at it. Reflect on it. And then ask for the ancient way. Ask for the way that is best, which is God himself. Because before God can replant... God's got to uproot. And I'll tell you, those seasons in my life in which God was pulling stuff up, I'm, I don't even really look back now and like those. They're, they're hard, they're challenging, they're difficult, they're painful. I mean, I, I can think of a couple of specific events that happened to me and it's like, man, I don't want to go through that again. 
And yet I, I am thankful for God in his love for me wanting to pull things up. Why? So that he can replant some stuff in my life. But it requires repentance. It requires a heart that says, God, what, what, do, you, what do you need to pull out of my life? So I, I think if we're going to ever allow God to work and change in us as individuals and as a church, we all have to be willing to have a season or a time in our life in which we say, God, what, what do you need to pull out? A time of repentance. A time of saying, God, what do you need to do in my life right now? What is the weed that's growing right now that's really getting in the way of you working in my life? What might it be for you? Maybe for you, it's, it's like me, it's self-centeredness. Maybe for you, it's, it's an addiction that you continue to wrestle with. Maybe for you, it's bitterness at some relationships and some people because of what they've done to you. Maybe it's way in the past in your life, and it's something that's happened. Maybe for you, it's you know a matter of some arrogance or some has to do with my rights. Maybe for you, it is greediness, uh, misplaced priorities. I, I, what is it that seems to be that weed that grows up in your life, grows up in my life, that God wants to get rid of. So we're going to have a moment as a church family just to do some reflecting, and my prayer for you is some repenting. So I've got three different tables. I've got a table here, I've got a table back there, and I have a table over there, and it has these cards, and it just simply has that scripture, Jeremiah 6.16, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient past, ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. And then the statement says this, Lord, here is why I am not walking or listening to you. And then write something down. What is that we that's growing up? What is it that you need to repent of before God to say, God, Help me to get this, get rid of this in my life. So what's, what's going to happen? I'll pray for us, and then we'll have three minutes or so worth of music. That scripture will be up on the screen. And I just encourage you at some point in that time to get up, go take, grab a card, bring it back. Don't take two cards. Don't take ten cards. It's just one thing, right, that God's wanting to do in your life. Bring it back to your seat and sit down and just say, Lord, where am I not walking in you? What's getting in the way of me listening to you? And then have the courage to write something very specific down, fold it up, put it in your pocket, put it in your billfold, put it in your purse, but then take it out when you get home and put it in a place that nobody else will see, but it can remind you not what God is saying, here's where you're messing up, but what God is saying, if you'll just let me pull that out, I can bring such peace and life and joy into your life, you can't even imagine it. Imagine what God can do if we're willing to repent and surrender to him. So I'll pray for us. Like I said, it'll be about three minutes worth of music, and then we'll go right into our decision song after that. Any moment, point in the middle of that, I encourage you to get up, Go grab a card, bring it back to your seat, and just reflect and spend some time. Write something down that God wants to do in your life. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much for your love and
Lord, your great patience with me. I'm thankful for those times, those seasons, those people, those events. Lord, it's almost forced me to let you pull up what needs to be pulled up in my life. And I am so thankful to see now the fruit of what you've done because, Lord, I surrendered that to you. I know I still have so much left to surrender, Lord. And so this day, as your people, Lord, at home, here, present with us, Lord, we take this time to just reflect. And, Lord, we just simply say, here is where I'm not walking in you, Lord. Here's where I'm not listening to you. Pull this out of my life, Lord, so that you can do your great work. And it's in your most precious name we pray. Amen.